Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. everyone and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris and this is At Home in My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. This week I have with me Devin, who's a friend of mine on social media who makes a lot of posts that really inform and enlighten me. A lot of things come out of your feed, Devin, that make me think about things a little deeper, that make me more aware. Would you like to talk a little bit about yourself and just sort of introduce yourself to the audience? I am a trans woman and I have lived with that. And so a lot of my posts that I do make on social media are about trans issues. And Tracy has very kindly invited me onto her podcast to sort of go into depth about the types of things that I have noticed, that I've experienced, and the things that I have talked about with that experience that I've had. And right now you were living in the UK, is that correct? That's right, yes. asked you to put together an agenda to talk a little bit about your experiences and what you thought would be relevant to share with a broader audience. The first thing on your agenda had to do with the impossible demand for proof of gender outside of experiential testimony using people's experience as statistical data versus just feelings. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that a lot of the time, because people have a very cisnormative view of what somebody's gender is in general, cis people don't have to prove their gender. It's just sort of implied via their existence. When you actually come out as trans, that comes with a lot of questions about like, how can you know? But the question is directed about your own experience. Like, how can you know your own experience? Well, to know your own experience is actually very easy. It's just you can't really explain that experience to other people who don't have it because they don't have that same mental framework to work with it. And a lot of the time, what this means is that people will say that it's just feelings or they'll ask for some sort of data or information. And what they'll do is they'll resort to pointing to things like chromosomes and genitals and stuff like that. The thing is, is your experience isn't disregarding those things. It's in spite of those things. I've compared it in the past to sexual orientation. There was a time when the het community labeled anybody who was gay or lesbian as mentally ill. And we literally tried to treat that. Today, when you have groups of people who try to, quote, treat that, we consider it child abuse. The only way that someone can know your orientation is for you to say, this is my orientation. There's no evidence of your orientation. 
I am the dominant culture in that I'm heterosexual. And so no one questions it. It's the same with my gender. I walk around with the gender I was identified with at birth from a doctor who just sort of eyeballed my body and said, yeah, this is what I think. Similarly, paired with that idea of the cis experience has been the het experience, which also was just sort of this assumption. Tracy is born. She has this particular look to her body. We assume she's going to identify as a woman when she gets older. She'll recognize who she is as a woman, as a female. With that will come an orientation toward male sexual partners. Percentage-wise, that guess is going to be pretty accurate, but it's not perfect. And there's also a regularly seen exception. This is the estimate that's given when you're born. Society takes those estimates as sort of carved in stone and just concrete, and they cannot accept or adapt to anybody saying, yes, I understand that was the guess that was made when I was born, but it wasn't right. Yes, that's exactly the same concept at play there, where this is sort of what has been bestowed onto you. And so there isn't really any need to question it until someone specifically brings it up. And then all of a sudden it's on them for bringing it up as opposed to it just being the way of things. If someone asks me, I'm going to start reaching for things that I have internalized. So I'll start reaching for these generalities. And initially a person might say, well, you know, this is based on genitals. That's what gender is. But then when you start to really examine that, it's really not. Problems that I've seen with that have to do with reducing people to their genitals. So for example, if a woman is reduced to her genitals, she's basically going right back into the system that has oppressed her by making her nothing but her genitals. Cis women have been subjected to that and basically reduced to that for a very long time, and it's done much damage. Now what we have are some people who are going running right back to that and saying, this is what it is. This is all it is. This is all being a woman is. It's just your genitals. And one of the biggest problems I have with it is that it's just so dishonest. I navigate society. I walk out into public and I interact with people all the time. And I don't feel like I'm completely unable to understand gender or see gender expressions or assess the genders of people that I interact with. Yes, certainly there are going to be times when I encounter people who I'm like, wow, I don't really know. Like, I don't know what gender they're leaning toward just based on a look. And Even with a particular look or a particular expression, there's still some assumption there. I totally understand that. But broadly speaking, I do see gender expressed out and about just doing my grocery shopping. And I don't need to check people's genitals in order to have that experience of experiencing gender all around me. So I perceive gender by something other than genitals because I'm not aware of people's genitals. I'm not checking their genitals. And yet I am still running around with people every day, identifying them in a gendered way. So we will reduce it to something. And then when you start to think about it, you realize that gender expresses and you don't know what that is, right? I don't know what the genitals are and I still perceive the genders. I don't know what the chromosomes are and I'm still perceiving the gender. There's something about gender that is more than these things that we're leaning on, right? That isn't really as reliant on them as we would like to think as a cis community. A lot of the time, what happens is that people won't think about 
genitals or chromosomes or anything like that. But when they see people just getting on with their lives, they'll have this underlying assumption of what they have. And that is correct a lot of the time. Because it's correct a lot of the time that people sort of got this idea that it must therefore be correct 100% of the time. And so they operate as if it is 100% of the time. I can't blame them for that because I do that too. If I'm just walking about, I don't look at people and think, oh, they're trans or they're cis or whatever. I just see them and I just let them pass by me. It's just what people do naturally. I guess what I'm saying is people will address me all the time and they'll say, you know, miss or ma'am. I mean, it's not like I'm always gendered in every interaction, but when I am, it's generally correct. Now, when I was younger, that was not the case. I was often confused as a boy. And a lot of that had to do with haircut. Nobody was looking at my genitals. They were assuming my gender based on the way my hair looked. Gender expression is much more broad than we're giving it credit for. We are using generalities in order to try and make inflexible rules about the way the world is not actually working, right? So we're saying it has to be this way and it doesn't work this way. And again, I just keep going back to sexual orientation, right? And the idea of what it was like to be gay in a world where everyone assumed that doesn't work, that can't be right, that cannot be correct, this cannot exist, it has to be something wrong with you. We had that same dialogue until people just came to believe that if you tell me that you're a man and you're attracted to other men, then you are a man attracted to other men. And guess what? That's fine. And then we embraced that. But it wasn't that long ago when if you were gay or lesbian, you weren't allowed to exist because you challenged that narrative that men are attracted to women and women are attracted to men. And to buck that system got you institutionalized. We're kind of having that same conversation now where people just want to keep grabbing on to this idea of there's this binary and it and it has to work this way. It just has to work this way. It can't not work this way. And if you don't fit in that system, there's something wrong with you. You're delusional. You're mentally ill. Something's wrong. And we're doing the same things, right? We're seeing the same violence. You have slurs. It's so parallel to me. And it boils down to... Is this just a feeling? Yes, it appears to be. One day we may figure out where that comes from, like what generates that sexual orientation or what generates that concept of gender and inside of someone. But right now, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that we should be out there persecuting people and denying their perceptions of themselves when really we don't have as the dominant culture, I don't have as the dominant culture, any more right to disavow somebody else's claims about their orientation or their gender than I have to my own. The only advantage I have is that other people accept it without questioning me. That's it. Yes, that is basically it. Like I'll put on the agenda, statistical data versus just feelings. I think of it more in in terms of not so much why people do and feel the way that they do, but rather just observing the fact that people do. As a child, I tried to rationalize it in my head, but I could not tell you why I feel like my body should be a certain way or why I prefer certain pronouns. I cannot give you a logical reason as to why that makes sense, but I can tell you for an absolute fact that that is what's happening. And I can go through all these like different examples of just little things. What's interesting about that, I can compare this to what I see in the outside world. And I can see that I observe people to be cis in the way that they act and the way that they are happy to be addressed 
you know, they go through puberty and puberty may be hard for them, but ultimately it's just something that feels natural to them. And, you know, they get through it and it doesn't feel like this is the wrong way for me. That allows me to compare myself to other people. It allows me to know what my place in society is, if that makes sense. I don't necessarily mean in a like, uh, oh, I'm going to put you in your place kind of way. But it allows me to put a greater context as to who I am and the fact that these are people who are like me in this way and these people who are not like me in this way. I go into one group and not the other. When you look at it through that lens, it starts to make a lot more sense. It allows you to think of it in more concrete terms. Whereas what happens with a lot of people is when they take the idea of everybody being cis for granted, when they see a trans person or someone expressing their gender, people tend to interpret it as something completely different. Because they've got that cis mindset, they think of a trans woman, for example, as they would a cis man, but with a different thought process and going through a different set of stages. If they were aware of this greater data set, as I'm putting it, they would have a greater source of information to say that that mindset that they've got isn't how things are. While you were talking about the experience of puberty, it raised in my head the idea of how concrete we make, when I say we, I mean my community, the cis community, how concrete we make this gender binary. So if there is an expression of gendered attributes, like secondary sexual characteristics that occur outside of our very exclusive binary model, we jump right on that and we quote, correct it. For example, when you're talking about cis people going through like a very sort of normal puberty and they have these normal feelings, unless they don't, because even with cis people, you can have situations, for example, where a young person who identifies as a boy who perceives themselves as, as male begins to develop breasts, for example, that's a condition. Generally, we address it by surgically removing them. So we basically say, oh, wait, 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 your body is wrong your body is developing wrong. You've got this characteristic that's happening that usually doesn't happen when you're born with a penis. And so you are developing these breasts and we have to, we have to put the slap down on that. We have to remove the breast. We have to take that. We got to make you into the model of the male that we have perceived as correct. So we don't really allow even among cis people that much deviation If a cis woman is born and she doesn't develop breasts or she develops very small breasts, a lot of times those women will go through all kinds of scrutiny, talked about how they look like a little boy or something. I mean, it's like very, very cruel misgendering, even within the cis community for what would be considered minor deviations. And when you eliminate and hide, force all those deviations into hiding, or you quote, correct them with something as extreme as surgeries what you're really doing is you're enforcing this binary model. You're saying nothing is allowed to exist outside of this, even within the community that identifies in a way that we find more comfortable for us as cis people. So when someone steps up and says, it's not just parts of my body that I don't see as fitting my mental model of myself, it's my whole body pretty much or the parts of my body that the cis community considers very relevant to gender, 
if that's not aligning and you come out and say that, you just get all kinds of pushback. It's especially if you don't want to fix it in the way they want to fix it. And when I say fix, I've got that in quotes. So it's almost like if the young man said, hey, I don't want surgery, he would probably get pressure to have surgery to remove the breasts. I can definitely see how a young boy in that situation who says, I don't want surgery, I'm fine with it, how his parents might put pressure on him. In the case of a trans person, there are a number of trans people who express that they would like to have surgery to adjust the parts of their body that don't align with what they feel comfortable with. And the cis culture just is incredibly cruel about that and incredibly unempathetic toward it. And we literally are like, no, you're not allowed. And no, we don't want you to have this. And no, you cannot correct this. You just need to accept it because you were born into a body that we consider normal, but not for the gender that is you. So you just have to stick with that norm. There's nothing wrong with your body. That's how we're policing it. It's killing people. A body that represents a particular gender is seen as itself a normal thing, like in quotes. That doesn't take into account the normalcy of the person who experiences actually having that body. You made me think just then about how intersex people often have surgeries to make it less ambiguous one way or, or the other. And a lot of the time, the issue there is that they have this idea in their head that it doesn't matter which way they are, as long as they are clearly one of the ways that we deem acceptable, then they will continue on life as if they are a cis person of that body type. And they think that because when they see people of that body type, most of them are cis. When I was younger, if somebody was born intersex, a lot of times they would simply, quote, make them female. So it's easier to perform a surgery that gives a, a more cis normal look of the perceived female body type. And so they were basically trying to fit them into a female model. And what happened there is you can go online and find stories of people who had those surgeries who said, I didn't feel okay. Something wasn't right. They kept putting me into dresses and telling me I was a little girl and that never sat right with me. You'll have situations where there's someone who's intersex and they will perform that surgery. They will quote, make them a girl. And then the person grows up and they have all kinds of problems with it because they don't really feel like a girl and they don't identify with that identity that's being handed to them in society. I find that among cis people, there is very much empathy for that. So cis people will see that and they will say, yeah, how could you do that? I mean, you violated their body and you tried to like force them into this gendered bucket. Now they're having all these problems and this is a really wrong thing to do. And so we have this concept of being able to sort of be quote understanding and more flexible when the body type doesn't strike our brains as a quote, normal body type from a cis perspective. We understand that idea that gender among the intersex community is something that they need to communicate because we don't assume it. And we were like, we see that and we're like, we know we're not supposed to assume that. And we know we're supposed to accept what they say. And if you try to force them into a body that is like a girl or a woman's body and they don't feel comfortable with it, well, heck, why would you have done that to that poor person who now you've really made them confused, you've really messed up their life, it's harmful. We understand that. But when it's a trans person, when you just shift it a little bit, suddenly the same people who are understanding become massive bigots. 
yes, this goes a lot into the next point that I wanted to raise about what counts as transphobia. A lot of the time, what happens is I think people have this idea that if you have a certain body type, that's mostly indicative of the fact that you'll be comfortable with that body type. Of course, it's not always true, but that's the idea that people have. When you have someone who's just straight up binary trans, what can happen is that people see that person as already being in an opportunistic position where they can take advantage of the fact that they are perceived as one of, in quotes, the two genders. They see the fact that trans people don't do that as something a bit odd. Right. Well, I mean, we definitely don't understand it. Right. I mean, I think there's massive evidence that cis people have a lot of trouble wrapping their brains around it. And and I'm not going to lie. This was an issue that for whatever reason was very difficult for me to wrap my brain around. I really had to evolve my opinions on this and my position on this. Opinions probably isn't the right word. I had to evolve my understanding on it. I had misconceptions. And even when I was at the point where I would definitely have said trans women are women, I don't think it had really sunk in. I I don't want to say they were just words in the form of performative. It wasn't that I was just saying the things. It was that I really did want to be supportive. And I really wanted to say this in defense of trans women, but it hadn't really hit me at that sort of intuitive level what the implications were of that phrase. And when it finally did hit, it was so simple. It was almost like the difficult part was getting there. This may seem like a goofy analogy, but it's like those stereogram images. And when you see one, it's just a big mess and you stare at it and you stare at it. And the hard part is finally reaching the point where you know how to look at it. But when you finally do get it, It's so simple. It's like, oh, you just do this. You do this with your eyes and then you can see it. And then the next one that you look at, you just do it. The hard part is learning what it takes to understand how to do it. But once you understand it, it, it's very simple to just be like, oh, yes, it's women who are trans. I, I don't know why there is such huge difficulty. I do understand there's huge pressure and there's like this huge framework and structure geared toward binary cis norms. But it still blows my mind how difficult it can make something so simple. I often think that that sort of learning experience is very similar to, and on a much larger scale to, the experience that I had as a child, realizing boys were happy being boys and that they just gone on with life. And they knew that they were going to grow up to be like men and have that masculine body type and that they'd just be fine with it. Because that didn't occur to me for a few years, because to me, it was just a case of, well, obviously nobody wants that. But I was wrong. But the difference here is that I was exposed to a lot of cis boys when I was young. And that is different to the general cis population who aren't as exposed to trans people. So it can take a lot longer for that idea to get into the head. I think you're being very kind. <laughs> I mean, what you're saying is correct, but uh, you're you're super patient about it. I, I guess I appreciate that about all my friends in the trans community is that is the patience that I get. I find that when someone is really trying, even if we make mistakes, those are often forgiven. I, I'm sure I still do make mistakes. I'm not saying that I don't. But just from the evolution that I've gone through, I will see people defending trans people on threads. And I feel very 
glad to see it, but I'll still be reading through the defense and I'll see what I would consider microaggressions, little phrases or terms that are used that I'm just like, oh, I actually wouldn't say that because that is a little bit dismissive or undermining the point a bit. I don't even think people understand that because a lot of it is about just language. There's been an evolution of the language. When trans issues first started to be discussed, there was a lot of language used that is now considered to be transphobic. We actually used phrases like male to female, which is really not good language to use because it's not really a reflection of what's happening, but people still use it. Phrases like male to female and female to male, the issue with them is that it's very much from a cis perspective. It references the outward presentation as opposed to the actual person. But it also emboldens that binary concrete model. I had a friend recently who was engaging with someone online. She's a trans woman and there was something uh, said about her having a male body. And I said, well, if you're a woman and this is your body, then it's a woman's body, right? I, yeah. I don't know how else to even express it. It may It's almost like saying that the young boy who develops breast, it doesn't have a male body, has a half male body. And we wouldn't say that. We would say this is a boy who is developing breasts. And if that's distressing to this young man, we would let him have surgery and encourage him to get help and do everything we could to make him feel better about his body. We would never say, oh, your body is half woman because you've developed breasts. We would say it's a boy's body with breasts. If you're a woman and this is your body, it doesn't matter which attributes we would look at to say, oh, well, this or that is more commonly what we see on men or male bodies. And if you think it shouldn't be there, then it shouldn't be there, especially because we do recognize this as a generally male trait. I don't mean to imply that everyone needs to have surgery. I just mean that we would accept this boy's body as a boy's body, regardless of female physical expressions that are you know, generally considered female physical expressions. And so for me, the idea of gendering these body parts becomes really problematic. And I don't think that they should be gendered. I think that it causes more problems than it. I don't know. I don't know that it fixes any. It just seems to cause problems. And so instead of gendering the body parts and saying, this is a man's part, this is a woman's part, we should just be saying, this is your body. And if there's something going on that is making you really, really uncomfortable with it, then we need to help you out with that. There's a lot of very dismissive talk a lot of the time. And this is when it gets to more explicit transphobia, I suppose. It's when people will say things like, oh, you're allowed to do those things but that doesn't make you X or Y. Whilst it's true, yeah, if people have parts of their body that make them deeply unhappy and they have the ability to change that, I'm not sure what argument there would be against them having the right to do that. I mean, I suppose if it causes harm, again, that leaves room open for people of bad faith to say, well, transitioning is of bad harm just by pure virtue of what it is. This reminds me of some threads that I've seen where women who are trans would talk about their experiences with puberty. And I remember one person describing it as testosterone poisoning is what they felt like they were going through. That really struck me. If I, as a cis woman, had had these spikes in testosterone that were causing like physical feature changes in me, I would be getting treatment and nobody would question it this little girl is trans, we tell her just deal with it. 
Yes, that's exactly it. And it is down to the fact that people who do that don't believe that trans people are their gender. And you do get them where it's like, I will refer to you by these pronouns and I will call you this name. But if they don't actually believe it, then they're not going to be aware of the implications of the things that they say and the things that they pass on just through their beliefs manifesting in their actions. And I think that might be where my head was at, but not in a patronizing way. I see people who do what you're saying and it's very patronizing. It's like, yeah, sure. You should have people use whatever pronouns you prefer, whatever it is you want them to use. Fine. And it's not really a respectful or accepting or understanding commentary. For me, I think it was like, yes, I need to use those pronouns because this is what these people want. But it still hadn't sunk into me that it was because this is really what's applicable. There was this extra step, but it was a step I wanted to be willing to make. I guess what I'm saying is for what it's worth, I had my heart in it. I wanted not just to do the right thing as from a politically correct standpoint. I wanted to do the right thing to make other people comfortable but I wasn't really understanding the full impact of it. Whereas I see other people that are sort of, yes, I'm going to use the pronouns, but whatever, it's just, I'm, I'm appeasing you or I'm, you know, that, I guess that's it. I, I'm, I'm just going to appease you by using your pronouns. As a cis person, no one's appeasing me by using my pronouns. So what does that even mean? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The word you used there that really stuck out to me is the word that I use a lot is applicable because I always say, These are the pronouns that are applicable because that reflects the reality of who that person is. And what I find a lot of the time as well is that you will get people, they will use the right pronouns and everything. But every so often, depending on their state of mind, if they're angry or if they're overjoyed and they're not thinking about it, then they will use the wrong pronouns. And what that tells me is that they're not using the pronouns because that's how they see the person, but they're seeing it as an exercise of something that they have to do as like a task. So it's like they see the English language and they think, right, this is a part of the English language that I am required to break and I should break it. It's moral for me to break it at these points. But what we're saying is, no, that's not breaking it. It's breaking it when you misgender somebody, when you misgender a trans person. If I hear a trans person being misgendered, it comes across to me as if a cis person is being misgendered. I see it as the same act. I mean, obviously, there's maliciousness there sometimes. But in terms of how much it reflects reality, if you misgender a trans person, it's just like you're misgendering a cis person. It's just misgendering. I think there's a lot of projecting when it comes to transphobia as well. These people who will say, well, if I had the choice to do this, I'd just go to the girls' locker room and I'd do this. And you just think, right, but women don't do that. In the same sense that you'll get a lot of men who'll say, well, if I was a woman for a day, I'd just look at myself in the mirror. But how would they account for the fact that women don't do that? And what makes them think that they'd be the exception? Right. And I've used the example also with my atheist activism. It had the the same idea. So Christians would a lot of times say, 
if I were an atheist, that goes back to that, you know, I would go and rape and murder. I would have no reason to be moral. I would have no reason to live. I would have no meaning in my life. And what they're really saying is if I was a Christian and I lost, I lost this religion or lost my belief in God, this would be traumatizing or devastating or, you know, earth shattering to me in a way that would then, you know, send me down this spiral of dark void. But when you look at atheists, you don't actually see that very often. So there's this problem of instead of putting myself actually in the shoes of someone else, I'm putting myself, who I am, and everything that I feel and experience into a different mode. There's a difference between being able to understand what it means to stand in the shoes of someone who is a non-believer versus being a believer trying to say what happens when you put a believer in the shoes of a non-believer. It's not the same thing. And you had brought up a really interesting point about when you ask somebody to try to imagine themselves being in a trans position, they see themselves as being the gender that they are transitioning to something else. And what you were suggesting was they should imagine not being the gender that they are being in the body that they're in. It's very reflective of the general nature of what being trans is to begin with, the fact that they don't do that. Because I think the reason they don't do that is that it's just an unfathomable position for them to put themselves in. That position doesn't make sense to them. But that's what being trans is like. It doesn't make sense to you. If I were starting to have male expressions, nobody would just be telling me, well, just stay calm. You're just turning into a man. It's not a big deal. You're going to have a normal man's body, so you'll be fine. No one would say that to me. They would say, what in the world is going on with you? This is a massive problem. I would be traumatized by it. They would be sympathetic to me. They would be trying to help me. They would be offering me surgeries and therapy and whatever I needed to deal with the idea that my body was transitioning. I would be really not okay with that. Maybe not everybody would have a problem with it, but I think a lot of people would if their body started to transition away from what it is expressing now as far as their identity and their gender. This idea of enduring a forced transition would freak a lot of people out in the cis community, but they will not extend that empathy to somebody who's born in that situation. I see that a lot when complaints are made about the idea of kids learning about trans issues. And the point that they bring up is, oh, my daughter might be worried that she'll be turning into a boy one day. So they get their head around that being a traumatizing experience, but they're only applying that for cis people. That is what trans people are going through. The next point that you had on your list was about being a closeted trans teen in the 2000s and public awareness then versus now. Well, this is just me referring to my own experience. I've known my gender since I was like four years old. Of course, I didn't know it in those terms, but I had those same feelings when I was like four years old. And so throughout the first bunch of years, up to 10 or 11 It was there, but it wasn't terrible. It wasn't so dysphoria-inducing. But then when you get to those later years and and those teen years, it's when dysphoria starts to hit. And it's when you start noticing that everybody else is changing in certain ways and you're not changing in the way that feels right to you. I sort of had this strange assumption when I was young that I would never go through that puberty because I just couldn't wrap my head around the idea that that could happen. When I got to that age, it was very distressing. It's when dysphoria really kicked off. And so what happened was I had to find people online. 
that's when I learned about trans people and the fact that it wasn't just me alone in the world going through this. That I'd find these different spaces online, but it's very different to how it is now. Back then, it was very segregated in the fact that if you've had a space with trans people, it was just there, people talked to each other, and there wasn't any media awareness. You just sort of got on with it. I lived my normal life, go to school and everything. But then when I'd go online, it was like I was living this life in my head. You've got all this media uproar now when everybody's talking about it. But what they're responding to is the public awareness and the way that people are talking about it. The fact that trans people have been here all along doesn't make a difference to that because we're still here. We've always been here. And so the things that people are referring to isn't trans people directly. In the U.S., we had rules against gay people in the military. That meant that gay people would go into the military and they just would keep their homosexuality hidden. You just pretend that you're not gay. So we had gay people in the military, even though gay people weren't, quote, allowed in the military. The reality was we had gay people in the military. And then later we passed laws that said, as long as you don't say you're gay, we won't kick you out if it's discovered or whatever. You just don't say anything, keep your head low and, you know, you can stay in the military. And then finally we were just like, okay, this is ridiculous. Gay people are in the military and we just need to, to get over it. When we wanted to normalize it, basically not penalize it, there was all this public awareness, public discussion going on. So there are all these debates. What would happen if you let gay men in the military? You're going to have all these problems and this is what's going to happen. It's like, it was as if there weren't already gay men in the military, right? The conversations that were happening in the public sphere we're dealing with issues that it's like, well, we, we have gay men in the military and, and they're not doing that. That's not happening. It was like this ridiculous bunch of hypotheticals that didn't need to be hypotheticals because it had already been tested. There were already gay people in the military. There had been gay people in the military. And so we knew what would happen if you have gay people in the military, which was nothing. But the conversation treated it like it was something new. I don't know if that's what you're trying to express. Yes, that is definitely what I'm thinking of. Because of this idea that we had our own spaces and we were distant from anybody else on any level of awareness, what that ended up meaning was that if you wanted to find any allyship or comfort from cis people, you couldn't raise the point directly. You sort of had to work around it and extrapolate You'd find content online, which is generally very progressive and forward thinking. And you'll find things like gay people. And if you saw people supporting gay people, there was this assumption that, well, if they're that sort of person, then it makes sense that they would support trans people. But what this often meant was that when you're not exposed to such explicit support, the standards of what you're willing to accept from people is a lot lower than what it would be. For example, I've heard people say things like, whether you're a man or a woman, I think you're cool. To them, that's a message of support. When I was younger, I'd be thinking, oh, that's nice. But I look back at that now and I just think, oh, it's like they're trying to find an internal way of not quite believing it, but still feeling like they're being a good person about it. I would say that among the communities that I interact with that are marginalized groups, the trans community is easily the most grateful group for any sort of allyship. This is why it really bothers me when I see somebody threaten them. When I see somebody say, 
I'm a trans ally. And they'll self-declare that. They don't wait for the community to tell them whether or not they're actually being an ally. They will say, I am an ally. And if you're going to treat me like this, then I don't even want to be an ally anymore. I see that so often. I see it in other communities as well, but I see it in the trans community so often. And the thing that gets me is I have never encountered a group that was so grateful for allies. I don't ever seem to run into this situation where I'm sitting there feeling like I've been so abused by some trans person or group that I refuse to support this community anymore. I've never encountered that. And I am somebody who has really had an evolution here. So I've had plenty of time to do and say the wrong things and to be, have that addressed. The problem comes in when people understand that this is such a marginalized community that they can be shitty allies. They can get away with it. The community itself is so small and so abused. Even within the LGBTQA plus community, trans people are abused. It's such a small community. It takes so much abuse. People know they can be crappy and still manage to be considered an ally and be forgiven for really crappy behavior. I see people who consider themselves trans allies who abuse this community really horribly because they know they can get away with it. And that goes completely counter to the narrative that is spun about trans people wanting to take away people's freedom of speech and being demanding. Yeah, I I don't find the community demanding. I think that a lot of people in the cis community who encounter friction with the trans community are just simply people who are not willing to try to learn and listen. They don't want to learn, listen. They want to tell you how it is. And if you don't accept their narrative and their perspective and their framing of your situation as a trans person, they are going to call you difficult. I think as well, there's some implicit misgendering going on when you said that people will say, well, I don't want to be an ally if this is how you're going to treat me. It implies that there's some level of personality associated with being trans. And that is the opposite of what it is, where it's not to do with personality, it's just your gender. When people say, this is how trans people are, trans people are like this... What they are saying is that to be trans, to have the experiences the trans people have, comes from a place that isn't innate. It comes from a place that is tied to something like arrogance, for example. Even if not arrogance, even if it's a positive trait, it's still tying it to a trait that is personality-based and not simply being a gender. I suppose it's kind of like how people would say that people from a certain country act a certain way. And in any particular instance where that's true, it's based on the culture of the people who live in that place, like the food they eat or the attitudes they have. It's part of how they were raised. Whereas being trans isn't a case of how you were raised and what culture you were brought up in. It's a case of just a fact similar to the fact of someone lives in a place or they have a skin of a certain colour or something like that. Being trans is just a fact of the person. So by declaring trans people as being obnoxious or anything like that, And to say that that is an inherent part of the fact that they are trans, it's to pin being trans as a result of culture when it isn't. You can be anybody and be trans. 
when I see an ally get into a situation where they're not comfortable and they're dealing with a trans person who is becoming frustrated because you have an ally that's not listening. And, and I don't even mean not understanding. It's usually the case when I see it, that it's a person who is self-labeling as an ally who isn't even trying to understand. They're just pushing their perspective. And the trans person is trying to explain to them why this is problematic. They're not trying to be attacking or brutal or mean or anything. They're just saying, look, this is not the way it is. And when I see somebody on the cis side who actually perceives themselves as a supporter who refuses to listen to a correction and just keeps digging in, instead of saying, you're trying to explain something to me and I'm having difficulty understanding it, but I will ponder that more. And if we can have more conversations, that's great. But what I'm not going to do is make you have conversations with me every single day until I get it, because then you're going to get frustrated with me. And if I especially start saying, well, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think you're right. And I'm going to start pushing back on it when you're telling me what your perceptions are and what your experiences are, that's going to be extremely frustrating because I'll be being dismissive of what you're trying to explain to me. Part of supporting a community is to try to understand what's important to them and what matters and what is harmful and what is helpful. So if I try to do something and someone says, look, this isn't helpful, this is potentially even harmful, I should pay attention. That to me is such a simple thing. But when I see somebody fight against that, one of the things that happens is they start getting angry at the person that they're supposed to be supporting And then they start attacking the person they're supposed to be supporting. And then they attack the whole community, basically saying, why am I even trying to support you? And I sit there and think, I don't know. Why are you trying to support them? Because it seems to me like this is about you. If it was about supporting this community, you would not care. Even if somebody was from that community and was being horribly abusive and unfair to you, it wouldn't matter because you'd still see battling the injustice that's happening against that community as the larger goal. Even if you had a really bad interaction with one person who, let's say, really did mistreat you, it still doesn't mean that people should be treated unjustly in society and have all kinds of systemic hell rain down on them because I had a, you know, met an asshole from the community. But I don't even think most of the time when I see it, the person's even being an asshole. I think they're just frustrated trying to deal with someone who's a self-declared ally who will not take correction. It's similar to when you have a trans person who is saying horrible things and they are doing horrible things. You will get trans people saying, I will not misgender them. I'm going to continue gendering them correctly because it's got nothing to do with their personality. Exactly. Yeah. You don't attack them on the level of harming them and allowing bigotry uh, bigotry is a whole other issue than just like a personal conflict. Yes. Um, no, no personal conflict rises to the level of systemic injustice. S- similarly, I've said before that the best experience I've had of someone gendering me correctly was somebody who was trying to insult me because there's no pretense of civility in there. It's all genuine. So what about this assuming allyship through extrapolation? I touched on that before. It was down to the fact that Amongst cis people, trans issues were just never talked about. It wasn't even considered as a trans person. Like what I experienced was that I would have to find things where people would be generally socially progressive and they'd counter regressive ideas and sort of just extrapolate from that, that that is a type of person who would be positive towards trans people. They'd accept trans people for who they are. 
we don't need to do that so much these days because it's talked about so much. And a lot of the types of people who I would have extrapolated I liked it from are definitely not. Yeah, I have found that to be very shocking. Even I have had the situation of thinking this or that person would be supportive in ways that are required and seeing that not happen. And I've also been surprised by, you know, less often, but by some people who were supportive that I would have never expected it. One of the things that this also touches on is this idea of lumping the LGBTQA plus community all together to say that people get credit for that. I saw someone recently post something, I don't know if it was you or not, but they expressed this idea that when I see a community that says that it's progressive or says that it's LGBTQA plus friendly, where it has a good reputation of being supportive of the gay community, I do not assume that that extends to me as a trans person. And I completely understand that just from what I see. That's kind of the exact opposite of the assuming allyship through extrapolation, because now, even in spaces where it will state explicitly no bigotry, I see that and I think could still be things in there that are transphobic. It's just that people don't necessarily have that mental framework to know exactly what they're doing. Like, say, for example, a group on social media, if a place does say no bigotry or just simply doesn't reference any stance against transphobia, then there's a good chance transphobia will appear at some point down the line. I've had that a few times. People who are in the cis community, we don't really identify transphobia. We're very bad at recognizing it. I made an analogy recently where I said that it was like a grease fire. To us in the cis community, we're used to dealing with regular fires, where if you see a fire, you throw water on it and it puts it out and that's how you fix it. And that means that you've done the right thing and you've put down that danger. But when it comes to the trans community, what constitutes transphobia is generally a very broad umbrella term that just means harm, something that could do harm to the trans community. And these really high rates of self-harm and suicide within the community are a part of that harm. So it's not just the threats that they feel and the harassment that they deal with out in public, but it's also this internalized level of harm that we know is reduced when the community is supported, right? So when somebody who is trans gets support, those levels of risk go down. And we're not used to actually dealing with an entire community that has these sorts of uh, internalized risk issues. Throwing the water on the fire doesn't work. What'll happen is a grease fire comes up and we'll grab a bucket of water and the trans community is like, whoa, don't throw, you don't want to throw water on that. That's going to be harmful. And as the cis community, we're just like, oh, no, no, no. This is how you put out a fire. This is going to work. This is good. We know, we know fires and we know how to put them out and we know that this will help. And the trans community comes back and says, no, you really don't want to throw water on this fire because it is really going to cause some damage if you toss that water on that fire. And we just do not believe it. And then we take the bucket of water and we throw it on the fire and the whole thing just becomes an inferno. And the trans community is just sitting there saying, we're we're being incinerated here. Thanks for the thing that you did that you didn't think was going to be harmful that has now set fire to everything. The trans community tries to communicate this. They try to communicate that there is this risk of harm that could occur if someone does a thing. But we in the cis community are so not equipped to deal with a community that has got that much internalized risk, internalized risk that we have created through our own oppression. And yet we don't want to take responsibility for it. We just want to say, we're going to do the things we do, and this doesn't hurt you. 
we don't really get to tell people that something doesn't hurt them, especially when they're dealing with thoughts of self-harm or suicide. And we're doing a thing that they're saying is making it worse. I don't get to say, no, this doesn't make it worse. No, this doesn't make you feel you're at risk. There are a lot of times when people will say something completely innocently. It can sound just nonsense when they say it. But when you think about why they say it, it reveals some fundamental misconceptions of the subject. And the example that I think of was that I saw a video on YouTube once where somebody was talking about trans women in crisis centres, women's rape shelters. And the person on the other end said, you raise a good point. Women's shelters are more funded than men's shelters and we should do something to fix that. But they've clearly not understood the point at all because they have this idea in their head that gender isn't really a thing that these trans people are experiencing. And they think that a trans woman going into a male shelter is the equivalent if it was been given the same funding. And that's not the case. He's got this interpretation that he's just assuming that everybody else sees and he's running with it. So he heard the problem of trans women being given access to these shelters and he interpreted that as a comment about the quality of men's shelters. So he was thinking that trans women should go into men's shelters? He was making that point and he was interpreting the idea that that is the issue that trans women have. That that there's not enough room at the men's shelter. Yes. So that's just an example. Like you were saying, you get these people who they don't know the subject, but they have this competent idea about what the details are. Like you were saying in your metaphor, they'll throw water on the fire thinking, well, this is what works. Doesn't match the context. Trans women are at risk in a men's shelter. So trans women are at risk of harm from cis men. There's a trend. I would not expect a trans woman to be in a men's shelter and feel safe. And his interpretation was that they would, if only it had enough funding. Oh my goodness. Yes. I I do hope that the conversations that I really hope I'm able to have on this podcast can help raise awareness. What I'd really like to do is to expose people more to these stories, because I really think there is a huge lack of exposure to actual trans people and actual trans people's stories within the cis community. I just don't think that we interact enough to gain the understanding that's going to be required to make headway for this community in the area of rights, for example, just rights and justice and just basic humanity. So I really am grateful that you gave me your time today. I very much appreciate you coming on. I think that this is going to be very helpful to a lot of people. It's just fantastic. Thank you for being here and for being willing to talk. Thank you for having me on. it for this episode of at home in my head exploring life in the cottage at woodland corners thanks for listening and as always stay safe be well and never stop exploring